Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cinematic Underdogs. I am your host, Jordan Puga. And I'm Paul Keelan. And today we are here with a special guest, Justin Peterson. So first and foremost, welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks. Glad to be here. Glad to be back. Yeah, glad to be back for more hockey, too. So if anyone is an avid listener, they might recognize Justin from Mighty Ducks. And we had a really fun talk about the Ducks film, a big hockey movie aficionado as well, it appears. I do like hockey movies, although I've never played. I played a little uh, roller hockey back in the day. Definitely. Jordan and I were roller hockey like champions back in the day on our street. We played every single day. That was one of the things I loved about this movie is some small notes, like when they're shooting the hockey puck. And there was oh, yeah. that thing that the wooden thing they had uh-huh. with little holes in it. We didn't have that. We had a sort of plastic sheet over the goal. Remember that, Jordan? Oh, yeah. So, the little yeah. holes cut out that you kind of hit, hit, take your shots and try to hit. Yeah, absolutely. We usually like ding up my dad's car and the end of the cul-de-sac instead of the net. But Wasn't that in Swayze's very eclectic apartment or whatever? Yeah. It oh, was. Yeah. His apartment was so unbelievably 80s, right? <laughs> like, who really has that apartment? Literally, with the neon lights. One like of- the toilet just like kind of against the wall somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> like out in the open. Like. Yeah. Yeah, the first toilet kitchen thing going on. <laughs> I totally was dying laughing when I saw that. I was like, the dude just has his toilet right next to his kitchen. No dude, walls, no nothing. Ahead of his time, before like for fans of the league and fans of Rafi, Swayze started the toilet kitchen. Oh, shit. So you have to bring this reference in. I don't know the league very well. Drop the league is a show about a bunch of dudes who play fantasy football. It was on FX, and they have a character called Rafi, who's one of the guys in the league's brother-in-law. He's the crazy, wild dude who's absolutely the raunchiest character, perhaps ever made but he has a what he calls his toilet kitchen and it's where he shits and cooks meals and so that's his a reoccurring joke on this show and so when i saw that that was my first thought. i was like this is a rafi predecessor right here really setting the tone here for this podcast perfect tone is paul sheer on the league is that the show he's on yeah he is that's where i know him from so i really i see him on uh or hear him on, on unspool it's Completely shocking for me at first. Yeah, and they're doing, as we talked right before the podcast, they're a copycat month. They call it Unspooled Underdogs. So we just want to patent or trademark our name real quick to listeners. Like, put some pressure on them to not steal our name next time. (laughs) Anyways, though, what is uh, Paul Shear's role? Does he, like... uh... Plays a character named Andre, who is, like, the runt of the group who who gets berated. He's he's our Thomas. And it's a bunch of guys who grew up and they still hang out. And it's like if they had Thomas still hanging out with them, but Thomas was successful and they still make fun of him. So for Justin and our listeners, Thomas was the kid in the neighborhood who was definitely the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> like okay. the very bottom, always got picked on. Thought he was a dinosaur oh, no. most of the time, but yeah. He never really played hockey, though. He didn't. He wasn't an athlete like we were. So anyways, before we get too much into Youngblood, which definitely will enter nostalgic territory a lot, uh, let's get into the box office. As we always do, we're going to set the scene. Uh, Youngblood came out January 31st, 1986. So its first weekend was the very end of June, early February, a really slow month for Hollywood. It's where they put all of their filler movies. And so that's why Youngblood, probably a hockey movie that had some very young stars in it, uh, got slotted in this kind of like, oh, we're going to make a few bucks, hopefully have a breakout hit. But usually it's for the big studio bombs that, that come out. So it was hard for us to find movies we'd seen, even though we're all 80s babies. We are literally babies at this time. And yeah. even though we are big cinephiles that like to go and look at, you know, old movies, we haven't seen too many in theaters right now. 
you know, Justin, you said you were mid eighties baby or late eighties baby. So we weren't even born. You were maybe like one or two at when this movie came out. So what movies did you guys find that were in theaters at this time that kind of aroused your interest or something to talk about? This is like a random one, but there's a movie called so the clan of the cave bear um, that came out probably like two weeks before young blood on January 17th in 86. It's a wicked poster. Yeah, exactly. It's a metal poster, right? Like for those, this shit's fucking metal. It's got to do with like some eyeliner, like red thing coming down, kind of like looking like like a harder David Bowie, pretty much. I, the way I came across this movie, I watched this in an anthropology class. And it was basically, as I recall, like a story about like early, like man, basically. Um, I can't really give a good summary of it. That's all I can remember of it. It's very 80s because all the cavemen have fucking awesome metal hair just like flowing. You know what I mean? Like they look like they could be up on the stage shredding. So like it's this weird like thing I was assigned for a, a class, but it wasn't really like didn't really ring true to the material. So I have this weird connection to it, but very 80s. Like, like you said, the, the picture of the, if you, if you just Google the picture, it says it all. Yeah, I see Daryl Hannah's in it. So right there you get Blade Runner vibes. So that's super 80s. This sounds like something that, is off my radar but should be on it that's exciting how about you justin what movies at this time did you gravitate towards when doing some research i went back to um the christmas uh week of when uh, the color purple and out of africa hit theaters the two big oscar front runners that year a lot of people say uh color purple probably should have taken that with spielberg but um got quite snubbed back there in the 80s out of africa is one of the more maligned ones so yeah, that of note. Yeah, I'd, I don't think I've seen either of those. Those are huge, glaring dark spots in my own personal film list. How about you, Jordan? Have you seen either of those? No, same, same as you. Yeah, uh, I have seen a few that came out after, uh, like Hannah and her sisters. I think that's maybe one of Woody Allen's top three films, one of his more mature movies. Um, I also was really into the uh the fact that rocky four was still in theaters when this came out and my problem is i've seen all the rocky movies but i don't remember which ones which i'm not one of those rocky you know gurus or scholars like most people are um like paul Shear is on unspooled <laughs> when he ever talks about it so you guys i'm sure are both better than that what do, what do you have to say about rocky four where does that sit for you in the rocky pantheon uh, rocky four is the drago one right as i recall yeah that's like for me, uh, I go back and forth on the Rocky ones. I'm very recent. I like recency bias. Guilty of recency bias when it comes to Rocky. I think my favorite one as a kid was the one before that with Mr. T. That one's my favorite. And it had Hulk Hogan. So that really spoke to me at that time. I was a big wrestling fan. So it has that, that nostalgic appeal. But I think I also like Rocky Five, the one that people hate. I do like Rocky Five. <laughs> so I'm going to say my favorite is Rocky Three. Justin, how about you? Rocky Four was my introduction to Rocky. And yeah, that movie rocked my uh, socks off. So cheesy, so 80s. Uh, amazing soundtrack. I'm a big Russian history geek. So like seeing uh, Rocky go to, you know, like Siberia or whatever to go train and run up a mountain and be like Drogos! Yeah, I'm all about it. I love that movie. <laughs> totally. Uh, Jordan, did you also say that Highlander came out at this time? Yeah, let me get the month. I think it might have been April. Okay, came out a little bit after. I yeah. love Highlander. That's a real classic. Have you seen that, Justin? I haven't. I had it on DVD for the longest time, but that was one of those ones that just kind of sat on the shelf and I never got around to it. But um, there can only be one. That's <laughs> what they say. Sean Connery was in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Christopher Lambert. Christopher Lambert. Directed by Mortal Kombat for me. He's, he's my Raiden throwing, throwing heat. At That's the right. Game, I guess. But actually, another one in March that came out in March of 86, March 7th is when Highlander came out. Uh, just another one I've seen from that era is Cobra. Cobra starring Sylvester Stallone. I really don't remember much about it. 
Stallone shoots a lot of people. Looks badass. Got the jacket and all that shit. For me, I mean, I like Stallone and all that, but that wasn't high on my list of Stallone movies that I recall anyways. What about you, Justin? I saw that the one time. Yeah, that was pretty good cheesy action fest. Um, I was going to point out it's uh, in December 13th, Clue came out and I get a lot of flack because I'm actually not a Clue fan. Um, for some reason, murder mysteries just don't mesh with me well. So um, I was very underwhelmed by Clue the first time. I'm cool with yeah. that. Okay. I don't not, I don't hate him or anything, but it's not my like go-to genre, I guess. Like at the end of Clue, I guess it's supposed to be real silly, but I mean, it just sound, feels like they're making everything up and I, it doesn't seem planned out for some reason. Or it does maybe seem too planned out, right? It's Oh, there it's, you go. Yeah, it's definitely a lark. Did you see the version where they put all the three endings right after one another? I think I did see the one that was back-to-back-to-back endings. Yeah, so I got completely blown up when I commented on it and said that like the ending was kind of a misfire for doing that on the like streaming version but i i understand where people come from because the ending's kind of brilliant when they release it in theaters they literally had three different endings so depending on what random showing you got you would get a different ending of the film so that was pretty exciting so you never know who was the actual like killer and it was a cultural phenomenon in that way and then what they do on amazon prime because i just watched it over the holidays with my family is they just put them right after the next and that ending is so brilliant so i'm sorry to like be completely opposite i think it's fun it's just it's this madcap recap of the film and tim curry is just nuts in it as the butler and it does feel apropos because i was complaining before we started this podcast that last night we threw a murder mystery (laughs) dinner party and i was the butler my wife's like you're gonna have to be like a real butler you know and i'm like yeah i know and she's like but you're gonna like actually step up and i'm like yeah i can pull a tim curry (laughs) so like (laughs) definitely i'm like i'm gonna channel my tim curry energy uh and that definitely kept me going as i like juggled seven things at once lamb and coats and dvds and cue cards and clue cards and all that crazy stuff but anyways it's a fun-ass movie it's really silly it reminds me of like a werewolf in paris and so forth i believe it was directed or at least based on the script of john landis so you're in big hands with john landis and i get why it's a cult classic but when we watched it with my family i was like gung-ho on it trying to like sell it and we were all into it it was a little juvenile and goofy but you know the trap doors and the the sort of subtext of is it McCarthyism that's going on and all of the like political uh, machinations that are entering because they're all like involved with the FBI they got a lot of stuff going on in this script it's pretty fun Mm -hmm. and I think we were kind of on board but when the ending sequence came we were exhausted by the third one because it's just like three heavy monologues where he breaks down everything that happened to lead up to this killing Mm -hmm. and you're just exhausted and by the third one you're you're checked out so if you get a chance don't watch all three endings at once just watch maybe one take a pause watch the next or so anyways I I went on a huge digression there. You just sold me. I don't want to go watch Clue, probably. <laughs> so you've never seen Clue, dude? I've seen it once, like, in my youth. And that's way long ago, right? And, like, it's not something for, like... When you're a kid, you're kind of like, whatever. <laughs> like, and I'm not a big board game person either. Like, I like board games and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It takes more effort for me to actually, like, to get into that in that zone where I really want to appreciate it for what it is, I'd say. Fair enough. And since this is a sports podcast, and I think board games are definitely competitive in almost oh, yeah. sports-like, we could yeah, even I've been have in your a, household. They're competitive. <laughs> yeah, we could do a month with Jumanji and Clue, and uh, I'm probably blinking, but I'm sure there's more board games turned films. You fucking sold me on what, Jumanji, dude. How would you categorize pool? Where, where would that fit in uh, would that pool? Fit in the board game? No, Reason. pool would have its own month with the color of money and so forth. And I'm I just sorry. realized Battleship now has a film, which is a total excuse <laughs> just to make like a big. <laughs> 
but I'm down to watch Battleship again. I watched that in Korea and had a had a good time. <laughs> so yeah. I, I love those shitty blockbusters that just like are an excuse to spend a lot of money and blow up shit. So let's just go around round table real quick and say our favorite board game. Jordan, I know you don't love them, but what's your favorite board game? Oh man, I like Yahtzee actually. That's a fun one. I'm off the top of my head, I'm say Yahtzee. Yahtzee's a good, good one. Totally. I remember we played in that, that bar after we went to the Renaissance Fair, yeah, right? it was a good time. <laughs> How about you, Justin? I'm big on this game called Quirkle now, which is like kind of a combination of shapes and colors that you have to um, add up points with. Me and my family got that last summer and we've been obsessed ever since. But all time, Boulder Dash is one of my favorites. It's very rare that I find people that I can play good Boulder Dash with because not everyone's a good uh, bluffer. But whenever you get a good savvy group together, that's a good one. I've never played either of those, so I'm pretty excited. You've just pitched two new board games that are definitely going to pique our interest we're a big board game. <laughs> My wife mm-hmm. and I, I was going to call it a household, but you can, I guess, include our cat. <laughs> that would uh, be the, the full extent of our household. But I think it's our movement to be a little more analog once in a while. That's like the incentive that uh, yeah. is just not even articulated. But I think we needed something that was not just watching movies. So we, we got into board games and Jordan took Yahtzee. That's literally a staple of our house. So besides Yahtzee and besides Clue, I would Ooh, say I have that, another one. Oh, yeah, sorry. go ahead. Ever heard of Pit? Pit? Like P-I-T? Mm-hmm. No. It's the market game and essentially you pass out cards that have like a certain kind of crop on it mm-hmm. and then you start like the idea is to get all the same crop and so you have a whole table full of people let's say I have like four rices and I want to get all the rices now I got to trade away the stuff I don't want so I'll be like two 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 and someone else is on the table table saying two 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 and then you swap cards Ew, it's it's a ball we've had so many um New Year's Eve bashes with hits it's just it's wild i've never played it's pit you called it yeah never played pit i'll get to my second favorite besides yati which jordan stole but i also want to bring up operation operation is one of those that it's a classic yeah except for sometimes it's kind of janky and has little glitches but my other favorite is just sorry i love sorry it's so simple and we realized why it's good last time my wife were playing like literally on tuesday or something and she got way ahead i'm like watch we're gonna be dead even at the end it's one of those games that no matter what happens you're almost one or two moves away from winning and (laughs) It has like this built-in competitive parity to it where the way the cards go and how hard it is to get those last pieces in, you can catch up. And so I love that part about it. Yeah, board games are sweet. And what's sweeter is sports movies. So (laughs) let's return to the topic at hand. Uh, The last movie I wanted to bring up at this period came out a week or two later and it was Wildcats. I just wanted to bring it up because it's another sports movie. Uh, featuring Goldie Hawn. And the movie follows her dreams when she quits her cushy girls track coaching position at a high school to become the boys football coach at an inner city central high. So it's one of those dangerous minds kind of films. There's a few of them, but with a sports twist, maybe stand and deliver vibes, right? But like also a fish out of water where you get, you know, little petite Goldie Hawn, like... (laughs) trying to take on a football team. It's it's played for humor, I believe. I've seen the trailer. I remember when I was creating the list for this podcast, I was like, hmm, this one looks funny as hell. And I've never heard of it or seen it. So it looked like a cool little time capsule. So that's what I have. You guys have anything else from this period? Well, I'd be remiss to not mention like the greatest food porn movie of all time, Tampopo, that came out November 23 of 1985. I'm not sure if it was in US theaters or not. Yeah, this is uh, one kooky... (laughs) <laughs> Japanese film. Gosh, just the, was it the egg yolk scene alone? It'll just 
It's something else. I didn't know what to expect with this, but to see the whole like breakdown of Japanese food, food culture in it, it, it's it's a wild show. It's it's a must watch. Absolutely. I remember I dated a girl in college who loved it. It was like her favorite movie. And she described the egg yolk, like going back and forth between the mouths scene. <laughs> and I just couldn't picture it until I actually saw it. It's absurd, but it's also so funny. And it actually has a good story about like a little noodle shop, which you root for. So classic all the way through and through. And it's exciting because at that point, I thought it was just going to be this kind of hipster indie cult classic. And, you know, it's definitely not mainstream, but I see it pop up again and again throughout the culture, just like Facebook posts and random people mentioning it and all over. So it's definitely become a late bloomer, but it's captured the, like the zeitgeist and held on for the past like decade or so. At least I've noticed. Gosh, that, that dining room scene where like everybody's saying to eat quietly, but they're all like slurping as loud as they possibly can. It's like, what is going on? And it's so great because I mean, I always bring up my experiences in Korea and Japan. I've been to Japan twice, but the slurping there is like a cultural staple. It's like you go into like the uh, the local like kimbap shop and you're going to get that sound. There's going to be some salary man in the corner. Like, and it's, it's literally a gesture of, I think, affection or like showing love to your food. It's completely accepted, yet they're so etiquette centric that it's bizarre and they're so formal and they want to be so polite all the time in public and yet you'll go into you know the noodle shop and they'll be like slurping up konkuksu and it's just the loudest thing you've ever heard so it's it's just a funny weird trait as well of the far east it reminds me of another one called dead sushi which came out in 2012 just jumping but that's another hilarious japanese movie that's like horror food like the sushi like kills people and stuff it's insane it's totally gonzo fucking uh, stuff so uh check that out if you're listening as well and if no one has anything else to bring up from this period i think we set the scene pretty well for 86 in theaters and let's get in now to the main event young blood so young blood is a film that really flies under the radar Yet its cast is definitely awesome, filled with famous faces we still see all over today. Probably the biggest face is one of the smallest roles in Keanu Reeves, but it's, you know, starred by Rob Lowe, a very young Rob Lowe, and Patrick Swayze has a huge role in it as well. So I was charmed by this movie. It was interesting also to see it after Slapshot. And I know, Justin, you watch Slapshot to just kind of jump in on the conversation because they are in so much in the same universe in different ways. But they really are like 1970s hockey movie and then 1980s hockey movie, capturing the two time periods and the two cinematic stylizations pretty savvily in, in their celebration of the tropes of the time. So first and foremost, just in general, Jordan, coming from a hockey perspective and knowing so much about the hockey background and stuff, uh, what did you come into this movie wanting and what did you get out? All right. So I came into this movie, I like the way you set that up, coming off, freshly off of Slapshot. Again, with that locker room camaraderie, that buildup of the locker room mentality, the locker room culture. Again, that's where it really starts in the beginning of this of this movie where you get the grittiness of the locker room, the grittiness of the arena, just the arena as its own space and all the various ways you can kind of investigate that. And I think this film does that pretty well. Again, it's in the ice rink as this kind of always present setting that everyone's kind of going in and out of the politics of that and how it's all centered in this like small town, right? That extension of small town hockey. 
So again, looking more for not the big NHL stuff, the big lights of the big show, more of the grit of what it takes to get there. And that's where, you know, we're coming off a slap shot. They're already where these guys are trying to get. These guys are trying to get into the NHL. They're also trying to get, you know, contracts into the OHL, AHL, right? Because this is a junior championship, as I recall, right? If it's what we're working here, because Robo is like 17 in this, that come up story leaving slap shot where the come up stories already happen as the players at the end of their career and it's them trying to keep in the twilight and then we get the other end of the stick of like the uh, you know the young up-and-comers now i want to preface this because this is the first time i've seen young blood so i'm coming into this like you know, it's it's a movie that's talked about pretty highly amongst people who play the game not really in other sports circles at least in my experience come across it it makes a lot of hockey lists obviously but it doesn't seem to show up in a lot of big like sports movies list so that's why i was really intrigued by that like why is it that a lot of reputable you know ex-players talk about this particularly players I grew up watching in the nineties who had seen this in their teens, why this is their movie. Whereas, you know, my generation it's mighty ducks, happy Gilmore, miracle, et cetera. So that's really what I was intrigued by. And I, I could see why hockey players would you know, kind of celebrate this movie as, as a movie to kind of go to and be like, it's a, not necessarily a, uh, a fair representation or anything like that, but it's a pretty solid representation that you can kind of like stand behind and in some ways take pride in, I think of this one. Yeah. And now you captured the hockey element and angle really well. I'm going to move it to Justin and try to get into the eighties because your review on letterbox brought up the fact that it's drenched in plenty of 80s sweat. And the sweat is definitely a key <laughs> feature of this movie, especially in that yes. really sultry scene in the middle, which we can get to. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Crap. <laughs> um, but uh, how, how did this hit in terms of uh, all those eighties beats, you know, the flash dance vibes, the, the uh-huh. synth soundtrack, all those types of uh-huh. Uh, aspects. Yeah, so it's great to be back on the show talking hockey again, surprisingly enough. Not, I don't know a whole lot of hockey, but I certainly enjoy hockey movies. Uh, had never heard of Young Blood. Um, you had proposed this one or Goon that I could come join you all for. I'm like, well, I've never seen Young Blood. Might as well give that a spin. So didn't know what to expect. Definitely a Patrick Swayze movie. I mean, between like Roadhouse, Dirty Dancing. I mean, whenever Swayze's in a movie, it's like a presence and that that feel is like all over the movie. And that's definitely the case here. Man, Rob Lowe, the, the biggest thing I remember him in was like the West Wing. So seeing him as this kind of like very fast on his feet hockey player that, that with a lot of finesse that's scared to get into fights compared to like him being, you know, like the um, political, uh, you know, speech writer or whatever from the West Wing. So that was quite a transition for me. Gosh, yeah, such a cheesy kind of 80s movie. We'll probably go through all the like the beats of that coming up. I had, I had a good time with it, although it was pretty silly. Yeah, it was really silly. I mean, it starts off with like a foggy scene on the ice skating rink yes. and you see the blades hitting the ice and then you get that mm-hmm. synth music and I'm just like, oh shit, <laughs> we're in it, right? This is Flashdance on we, ice. You got the yeah, good when we, when we get to like the heavy d- chorus pedal over it. You got the like nice little solo over the atmosphere. Like, and so much fog too. They, they kind of overdid on the fog where you can't really see the skater a bit, but uh, it sets the tone uh, though. Double feature thing. I have uh, the movie I want to compare this to in my pocket. So I'll, I'll hold off for that segment. Let's just do it right now because it's already on the topic. What what other movie there would you, you throw this out to? I had some serious Footloose vibes on this for some reason, seeing his like feet going against the ice and all that fog. And there's the scene where like, he's like, you know, working real hard in the barn or whatever. I was just like, this should be Kevin Bacon. What are you doing here, Roblo? <laughs> it is so footloose, especially the barn when he's like doing the pull-ups. <laughs> that yeah. montage is just so hilarious. So I like that you brought up the foot movement because like right away in the beginning, like it, unlike some of, some of the other movies we talked about, right? Like, uh, because we covered Mighty Ducks, we covered Slapshot. And those guys that I show in the beginning can skate pretty well. 
and they get full body shots of these guys like you know hitting the ice this one like right away you can tell rob Lowe probably sucks at skating because mm-hmm. you get these really good shots of like of who's clearly like the stunt the the, you know, the the ice skater who's actually skating clearly puck handle and then rob Lowe's upper body is just there's no stability there at least from watching it the first time, I was kind of surprised at how you can see the jump a little too starkly from that. That's not to say there's some good hockey shots in here, but there are some scenes where you can see where Rob Lowe's body just, he wasn't that good of a hockey player. At least his, his shooting style is so different than the, from the other people who are handling the shots. There are moments where it kind of pops out. It does pop out early on that fog scene where you get the good skating, like you said, that footloose, like really cut up close on the crossovers and stuff. And then you get the pretty boy shots of Rob Lowe where he's just kind of drifting. And so like if you come coming off a move like Slapshot where it's really fluid, it's kind of like eh, a little choppy nailing the the pucks and (laughs) standing still i read some interesting quotes that he had about this he said apparently he hated to learn to skate and he didn't like hockey because he didn't like any sport that you were exhausted by the time you got all the gear on um he said uh, give him surfing any day but i think once he actually got in the pads and got on the ice he enjoyed like the the physical aspects of hockey i'm glad you brought that up Uh, because uh steve thomas who's uh he's an ex-nhl player he plays an extra on this and you know one of the coordinators or helps with the coordinator according to him he said we were putting our gear on for a scene and rob little had the wardrobe people he helped him get it dressed and tying his skates and we all just looked at each other like oh my god he can't even tie his skates come on seriously the following day Lowe was putting on his own equipment. He didn't have the wardrobe people around him all the time doing the little things, trying to tie his skates after we started to heckle him a little bit. Like all method with the character. Yeah. <laughs> He's a little weenie, so. <laughs> He's like, all right, I can't be getting chirped by these guys in the locker room. I got to learn to tie my skates. I like those little behind the scenes thing. Like he did put in the work and like, you know, he had to be with, with the boys. Obviously gave him shit, but it helps with the character with the locker room scenes though. Because Rob Lowe does portray uh, the rookie coming into like the Alpha Male cave and, you know, just being shocked by it all. And that kind of like during the headlights thing going on. And I imagine he actually probably just pulled it from that experience of just being with these NHLers or probably like getting shit. So yeah, I think that, that carries over well, but I like that you kind of brought that parallel up. Would you guys think of like, what was your initial impressions with the name? Because whenever I found out like Youngblood was actually like his name, I was a little underwhelmed by that. I laughed out loud. I thought it was just the name of the movie. And it was going to be explained differently. I didn't, know was, I didn't know people could be named Youngblood outside of comic books. Yeah, like, it surprised me. Yeah, I mean, it was way too symbolic and too on point. I know when you teach like literary classes and you have these really bad characters that are just too appropriately named for the like themes of the story, you just Mm kind of roll your eyes. And that was so much like this, unless it was about like Native American culture where they obviously name people such things, right? Or Mm -hmm. he's a hip hop star, like (laughs) Youngblood. I kept thinking of hip hop, but this, you know, Northeastern white guys, the last name is Youngblood. What the hell? No, that doesn't happen in any world I know. And especially when he needs, when he's a young blood in the realm of hockey and he needs to like fire up his blood. That's like the whole plot of the movie. It's mm-hmm. absurd. They actually use Youngblood both for his name and also they use that phrase a lot in the movie like as Youngblood, like he's a Youngblood. So it makes it even more confusing and, and blatantly forced in there, right? It feels so implanted. I, I like that you brought that up. It cracked me up. <laughs> would you, um, if you had a chance to rename this movie, what would you go with? Youngblood. <laughs> just stick with the, the cheesy ones. I was thinking really like, about the uh, family, so I call it the Young Bloods. The Young Bloods. I was thinking like toughen up or something. I mean, this is a cheesy '80s movie. Why not? 
Oh, yeah. I can't drop the gloves, pretty boy. A little too long, but. I forget exactly what he says to his coach when his coach isn't going to let him back on the team for the last game. And he's, I'm going to like fight my coach right now to get in the room. What he says there might be a good title for the movie. I love that line. But uh, anyways, we're jumping too far ahead there. Jordan, you brought up some funny stuff about how he can't skate. Because I thought of Emilio Estevez in The Mighty Ducks to bring up something we're all pretty familiar with still. And I also brought a thought of The Mighty Ducks because this movie starts off with an old throwback scene of kids playing hockey. Absolutely. The Mighty Ducks loves those nostalgic sepia tone shots especially the first mm-hmm. one right of him yeah. in his childhood it was like an eight super eight millimeter shot and then it, the camera falls when they get into the fight mm-hmm. it's kind of silly and gimmicky but i liked yeah, it. It, it definitely uh, it foreshadows the fact that the um the main character doesn't want to fight his own fights it's actually him scoring and then the fight's about to happen between him and the other guy and i think his brother like steps in the way so it really kind of foreshadows what this character is gonna be all about yeah, also, so, uh, going back to Mighty Ducks, though, with the ice hockey rink, then just the youth hockey aspect, I think young kids can tie to because it's growing up, you know, playing hockey on the streets. You know, you always play, particularly me and Paul, we used to always get pitted against the older kids. We'd all play on the same team against me, Paul, and my younger brother. They're like three years older than us, and we'd always get whooped on, and eventually it'd end up into like a fight and something like that. And it's like, I like the way they, they showcase how the kids learn early how to fight in those groups. Again, something that would be completely absent of a hockey movie today because there's still like anti fighting in the NHL at the youth level whatnot but i like the way it's established through the pond like the toughness of the pond pretty much yeah and there's also a beauty even if it wasn't rob Lowe in those scenes especially it wasn't him as a kid but even later i mean we what the major drama here and the major dichotomy or the two thematic forces are the talented pretty boy versus the goon right the the hooligan who could fight and he the pretty boy has to be able to step up and confront his goon confront his bully basically but For most of the movie, we get to see the talented player of finesse playing, if it's a double or whatever. And I really enjoyed the fact that the shots that were shown were pretty well done. I mean, it just gave me good vibes of like hockey. It's such a beautiful sport when it's played well. I mean, the greats like Yarmir Yager and Peter Forsberg, when they're on the ice, it's art. It's truly beautiful. Unlike a lot of other sports where I feel like you could be impressed by their mastery and their ability to step up to the moment, but it doesn't have the grace because it's not on ice and has that fluidity and that, you know, sinuous movement. So I love that too. I really love some of the the hockey scenes in this film. I thought it had a good balance of fighting and finesse. I like how you mentioned the goon because like whenever he goes and tries out for the team, when he goes against that same guy that ends up being the ultimate antagonist of the film, somehow he beats him out. I think even us as the audience is surprised that he gets the spot on the team over the, the tougher guy. Yeah, he likes the footwork of our lead instead of the the brawler. Also like that first scene of the tryouts though, because like just the way they show how bad the team people trying out are, like they're terrible skaters. You have like two who are usually good. And I like the way they really stand out, but like the extras do a good job of selling like this kind of like beer league style play. I will say though, the fighting in this to me doesn't stand up to the way it did in a slap shot. It's slap shot seemed to look more like they kind of just let them go at it and kind of capture what they can capture, just try not to hit each other kind of thing. This seemed much more like choreographed, much more staged. I thought Slapshot nailed like the physicality of like hockey, like really just hit it on the nose. This one, not so much. I feel like you see the hits coming. The guys who are taking the hits really take the hits before they come. They're probably under a tighter leash than they were when they filmed Slapshot is what I'm guessing under this. And it kind of takes away for me a little bit of the visceral aspect that I get when I watch like Slapshot and then even Mighty Ducks 2. Because interesting enough, this is a Mark Irwin is the cinematographer on this. He does the cinematography on the Mighty Ducks 2, not the first Mighty Ducks, but Mighty Ducks 2. And you can see some similarities of where he really improved what he was using at the time was like a wheelchair to kind of like get around the ice and skate around and capture it 
and they basically set up a better rig for like a Mighty Ducks 2 where you can really capture like the flying V shots and all that. You can see where that all really develops here and where he can execute it. So that's that's the other cool thing about it. you get like ups and downs, but you can really see where like hockey movies are gonna go. So I really like that this is again coming off of watching Slapshot where we can see much more of a low budget work with what you got here, man. They really like use a lot of cool like tricks. But like, one of the things they're talking about just getting the size of the arena. They only have 100 extras. So they went old school and just did like literally scarecrow audiences for most of the films. So the, the dudes are playing to like an empty side. It's stuff like that that you, you can tell they really use here. And then when you see these things used again, like in the 90s, all the rough edges are kind of like softened, right? This is our like predecessor is what I'm getting at. I was just digging that. You're kind of seeing like, oh, this is where it's really refined later on. So you felt like they pulled their punches kind of in the, the the physicality of the hockey in this movie? Yeah, especially like when you look at that scene in, in uh, Slapshot where the dude jumps into the boards, right? They built that dude a ramp to just fly up there and hit. They came so close to just cutting each other with the blades and they just, you know, they just film it. And they talk about it afterwards, like we didn't get too much into it last time, but Dave Hans is like, yeah, they're like, we were cracking up because it took him three tries to get up the boards. He's fucking himself up. These dudes are scared of getting cut and then they, they get it and we're done. And you see this one, there's much more safety on this. Like for Patrick Swayze's scene where his stuntman gets hit, he's on a pulley system. It's really intricate and it pays off. That scene's really well done. Whereas Slapshot would have probably been more of a take that fall, kind of have a stuntman do it, kind of roll it off. So yeah, I think there was, there was a little more safety on this, especially on the punches. Yeah, it definitely felt like a more tightly constricted film in that sense, but it also had a different tone, right? I think Slapshot was going more for comedy in all of its fighting sequences, and this is a drama slash romance film. So definitely it tried to build up the drama of these hits. You're supposed to feel like this emotional weight, like you know Patrick Swayze is going to get injured and severely debilitated in some way that he's not going to be able to pursue his career and they want to telegraph that. So you get three seconds of the music building up and the guy targeting him and you get like the multiple views that, okay, he's about to get hit into the boards, knocked unconscious. I was actually surprised. He gets hit in the boards twice in the game that he really gets his career ended on. And the first time I thought was going to be our career ending sequence. I, I knew that he was going to get completely uh, taken out of hockey. I just did. I, I knew that, that from the second that he said he had nothing really to fall back on. Uh, I was like, oh, he's gone. He's going to get the injury. They really overdo the fact that he's going to hit his head on the ice. And when he finally hits it, not that I want to see anyone's skull get cracked on the ice. It didn't feel like it lived up to the like build up to it. I'm just like, oh, the dude's head's going to pound the ice. And it was just like, (laughs) it was like super light. So yeah, that was a bit of a strange anticlimactic moment. Uh, Definitely, I think. In terms of Gonzo energy and the raucousness and the riotousness of Slapshot, this comes nowhere near it. But they are kind of different vibes in terms of the fighting. And some of the dramatic fights here, uh, I think, have a weight that Slapshot lacks. But I don't think that really is a problem for the what Slapshot wants to be. But uh, once again, they're just too incongruous films in terms of their tonal ambitions. I actually kind of like the last fight where they were almost using their sticks as swords in Youngblood. Yeah, I was really curious with you guys being more savvy with uh, probably hockey rules. I'm used to like what Mighty Ducks 2 and then they train them to throw down the stick, take off the pads and go. But in here, they're kind of like jousting with their sticks a little bit. I mean, what's, is that like old school? That's fighting? really old school. Okay. And like pretty much in the days when you didn't have a helmet, they used to call it spear fighting. I'll give you a story of a spear fight. The guy who plays the father in this, Ed, Eric, I'm a mess up his last name, Eric Nestraneko. I'm totally butchered that. He's an NHL player, but he's famous for being the dude who busted Willie O'Ree's face. He's the first black NHL player, played for the Bruins in a spear fight. And they got in a spear fight and he took out Willie O'Ree's teeth and Willie O'Ree's gave him 14 stitches across his face. And these are things that would break out pretty much in the old days when guys would really get into it they'd 
hack each other up. That's why he keeps saying, uh, get the stick away from it. It's not drop your gloves, right? It's get the stick away from him. Because back in the day, it wasn't take your gloves away. You want to get the stick from dude because they, they would hit you with that. They'd go for, for violence with that. Brutal. Basically, the code developed over time. There's a thing called the code, the enforcer's code. And it's basically the unwritten rules of the sport. And it evolves over time. And obviously, fighters got sick of losing eyes and, and teeth and whatnot. And, you know, if you look at Google old-time, like, hockey fights with spear fights, you'll see some disgusting pictures. It's pretty brutal stuff. But obviously, that's kind of been taken out of the game over time as players just, it, the game kind of grows and it leaves. So that's it's interesting, though, is in Youngbloods because it's an 80s movies. I really don't remember that being a big 80s thing. But this is, like, minor league low level hockey where it's way more violent even now like look up fights ahl fights ohl fights those are way more brutal than nhl fights so it, to, to me it kind of had a kind of realistic because even though i wouldn't picture like the dudes in the 80s going at that but like i could see maybe at the lower level particularly in canada that might still be like around yeah and i also noticed in this movie they kept saying watch the stick like the coach would tell him watch the stick watch the stick so like that's going to be the blow that's going to be what's going to attack you what's going to assail you and so they were definitely using their stick and jousting with it as you said Justin, that's a perfect term. And I also thought that there was uh, some different vibes to the fight or different sensibilities to the fights in the sense that our entire arc here is uh, a little different than Slapshot. Slapshot, we get a guy who just hates fighting, right? Ned, he doesn't want to fight. He thinks it's the bane of the game. And I don't think you get that vibe so much from Youngblood. You just get the fact that he's a coward in a way, or he's, yeah. uh, as one of the signs say, they're pussies on ice. I guess that's for all of them, but he, he's the quote unquote proverbial pussy on the team. So yeah, a little bit different. It's very underdeveloped to why he shies away from it too. Like there's a lot of scenes where throughout like where he kind of really backs off of things there's the part where like he throws away the game puck and then like when he quits the team and it's just kind of out of nowhere you can't really see what he's thinking at all that's a good point because like it, it comes up again in the final in the last act when we get the stuff with the father and where he finally asks him like, why didn't you show me how to fight why didn't you show me this and like you said that scene doesn't land quite right because it's this weird thing where you're putting all the weight on why didn't the family show me how to fight it's still the same thing like you still have to fight it's never explained like why he has this aversion to violence. Even though he'll take the hit, he can get stitches and all that. He can play the violent game, but he doesn't want to just do that next part. And, and like he kind of ex gives an excuse, it's because I was faster and no one can catch me. But it's also like he's deflecting. And like like you say, this is this weird mystery that unfortunately I don't think Rob Lowe at that stage in his career could really pull off. Because he's, he's there's good acting here for Rob Lowe. There's some pretty low points for him. I will say again early in his career. But like, like you mentioned, you know him from West Wing. I know him more from Parks and Recreation. He plays a more a straight comedic role in there. He plays it very well. For me, it's like it's kind of jarring seeing him nail it in the comedic role and just see him. There's these areas where it falls flat. And that was one where it fell flat for me is the, you know, this guy's motivation for nonviolence isn't really like accentuated enough for me to like grasp. And like that's that was something I struggled with as a viewer too. And didn't the father say like he didn't want another son? And then it was that, and then they moved on, and that had nothing that never came up say, again. I think the brother lost his eye, right? Playing hockey, right. Is kind of what insinuated he didn't want the other kid to use it. But again, like you said, it's very mm -hmm. stringy because it's in act one, and way later in the final act, we get that thread. To me, I feel like it could have been plotted differently, maybe that would have addressed that, but that makes sense. Perhaps because I'm like a lifelong wussy, I'm like totally the the weakling and terrified of fighting i totally understood like the subtext that he was just petrified the whole movie so i was definitely sold on that from the get-go i was like oh this guy is totally terrified in every single fighting scene and he's the pretty boy who doesn't want to ruin his face and so like we get all the rite of passages in the course of the movie and i, I like the fact they really focus on them i love the the scenes where he gets his eyebrows stitched i mean those are 
brutally squeamish scenes to just watch, even though they don't make it that squeamish. It's like, oh shit. He's and the, about need, to get the needle comes out of this little random just, like tomato needle ball thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, no sterilization whatsoever. Let's uh, let's time it. <laughs> how long how long is it gonna take me to touch up this eyebrow? Oh, so you got the whole team on the locker room kind of looking at him like they're in on the joke that the dudes you know kind of fuck with him too. Like that's the other thing I liked about that was to me was one of the really good locker room moments where everyone's kind of in on the joke. It's a new guy, he's gonna mess with him, mess with a shaky hand. That's one of the things I really dug about where where the story takes a turn. Cause I thought it was gonna be more of a kind of like he's the complete underdog in the team and he's not accepted, is what I was thinking the story was going. So that's where I love the way it turns into more of like that actual like locker room thing where you're you're initiating someone through the pranks, through the friendly jostling or whatnot, whatnot. To me, that was like really reassuring. I love the way it just turns like that was like that's such a locker room moment right there where everyone's in on the joke and like the new guy's not yeah absolutely and just to like make this little discussion part full circle i think ned is into the integrity of not fighting like the philosophy of a higher game and i don't think that young blood is necessarily even concerned with that he's really just a talented player who doesn't want to deal with it and he's trying to circumvent it and he finally has to man up and his father uh, it's kind of neglected him. I do think that it works, even though it's definitely, like you said, spread out in the acts. The scene where he fights his dad, I think uh, definitely at least brings that full circle, that really brief scene in the beginning where his father's dismissive of him saying like, you're not going to succeed. You're going to be back here. He, the fear of working for the mill, whatever blue collar job they kept referencing, they had a few, is strong too. And that's kind of like a slap shot juxtaposition as well, where uh, they're not necessarily ever explicitly talking about being scared of working for factory, but there's, there's their towns going out of business completely. And they're just trying to keep any job. But here it's like, either you get to be a quote unquote, like artist or athlete, or you have to do just the grueling job. And uh, I think they played that really well, especially when he goes back and realizes it's even worse to just do like the travails and toils of naturally like farming with his family. It's like, that was rougher physically than playing hockey, which was interesting to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, you bring up a good point there. Like like you said, really, this does a good job of, the, like you said, the opposite end of the spectrum. We're at the idea that you're all in on your career and you don't have that career yet. And that's the thing that I think that really speaks mm -hmm. to hockey players when you're going up and down. If you don't make the NHL, you know, you go back down. You know, that idea that, you know, when you're on that yo-yo, right? Which is why I really think it speaks to, like, athletes across the board, right? Trying to get your foot into the door. And the, like you said, the specter of failure and what's – your limited options because that is, you know, what you've embarked on. And Patrick Swayze does a really good job when he gives his kind of like soliloquy or whatever of, you know, giving a different end of the spectrum, not the, well, still blue collar, but like, you know, he's, he's like, my, I can't be a lawyer. His whole thing is about education. It's the other idea. It's not just that you can't fall into a job. It's like, well, I didn't graduate high school. It sounds like he wants to do those things, but he can't. He's like, his thing's hockey. And then he ends it with like, I love the game. And that's the thing that it's a cheesy mm -hmm. line, but I love that line because it really, draws it all to why they do it. Mm -hmm. Like going back to Slapshot, the love of the game. It's not the glitz and glam. Like the coach's locker room speeches aren't the best, but I love the speech where he says it these days, you know, everyone's looking to sign this and this. And he's like, you know what George, Gordy Howe's like signing bonus was? It's a goddamn jacket. Uh, I love that line. That 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 little thread kind of uh, carries through the, through the background of this with Patrick Swayze's character. Of like, this is our dream. Like this, he wants to play. That's like going back to Youngblood, uh, Dean Youngblood. He doesn't always want to play. He's not as gung-ho in until... Like you say, hits the farm and realizes, holy shit, it sucks. Yeah, I think you nailed it there with the speech that Swayze gives. And I think part of that is like, I, I'm due. Like I paid my dues to get that big contract and move up to the next level. So I think you nailed it there. Um, I kind of want to get back into the 80s sweat of it all. 
Um, <laughs> so we got this ridiculous scene with Rob Lowe, like just kind of running down the hallway in his jock strap. Who does that? And then what the coach's daughter just happens to walk in the hallway and sees him bare assed right there. I was like, oh. I guess that's for the, the ladies. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to bring that up earlier, even when George mentioned that uh, he has a body double when he ice skates. My wife watched the first half of this with me, and she was like, he has a pretty flabby ass. That would never happen these days. And we were making all sorts of jokes, like, where's his body double, right? <laughs> but we, we got to go there because we brought up locker room. We brought up them yeah. laughing about him, you know, getting his stitches. But this is a super homoerotic movie. Like, oh, yeah. Insanely so. <laughs> the guy's <laughs> doing squats with his hockey pants on, with his poster on the wall with a girl in a thong. I think it was animated or something. Yeah, I think it's like the telp in the crotch. <laughs> Guys, everywhere. And then, and like you said, like the, the shaving of the balls thing, which is like, oh, what was that? they don't explain it. <laughs> they don't explain like why balls? it's a prank or like why it's like, it's just so, like you said, just homoerotic and it's just like cut. And then the next scene, he's part of the team. It's like this weird initiation thing, right? It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, Where's the damn jock strap on his face? Like it's a surgical mask. Yeah. What is going on here? <laughs> I forgot about the like ritualism of it all too. I forgot dark strap. Like they have him taped up with a hockey tape. Yeah. I mean, it's so horny too, because like, even when he gets the stupid novel at the store with the daughters, uh, the daughter of the coach, right. It's some like smut porn novel that he gets Nympho. caught bringing out of. It's a really oh, Nympho. Why was then, he reading that? I don't know. Why did he steal that? Like, I was like, why is he purloining this like risque novel? What's the point? But he doesn't, he doesn't, I forget. He pays for it and puts it in her bag. Yeah, it, like a, he stuffs it away at first and then yeah. he comes out and pays for it. That and Moby Dick, which yeah. kind of has its own sexual connotation, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, especially for this movie, which likes names that ring too true. To yeah. And um, then we get like what the, the landlord lady or like the madame where they uh, stay at her house and she's like, all right, fresh meat, time to do my work on this boy oh the cougar is great too i love the cougar <laughs> apparently this is like the like the thing in like the day like on spin chicklets there's a lot of hockey players in the back of the day they always talk about the headmistress at the houses and stuff like that <laughs> like i've heard of a couple of times reference this scene as like you know if you think of this think of young bloods and this now i get the reference of what they're talking about though but it's like it does it seems like so out of context but within the context of the sport and like it's like going back to the booster club girls with slapshot who followed the hansen mm-hmm. girls around three curls they call them the sparkle twins Right. Like they have like their names and stuff. It's it's that aspect of, of sports of, you know, the idea of the hypersexual fan. I love that she has all the trading cards of all the dudes she's banging. <laughs> she has them going yeah. through them and she's taking her clothes off. It's just such a great setup. All these things we're talking about here are so out of place and like kind of dated, but they're so fucking funny. I found myself just cracking up at all of these, like even though they're Very like awkward sexual humor. Yeah. Like I love the part with the, the part where he pulls out like the book in front of the dad and had me had me rolling, even though, you know, it's going to happen. Like it's just so like you said, so 80s. The scene when they're ice skating around, they're running away from the dude who's trying to chase them, they're going too fast. The idea that it ends with them on a table of food and the guy somehow rolling into it is just, to me, so 80s, early 90s. It lands on those, like, to me, it makes me laugh still. And I can see why those things are, are in here and how they how they would work in that time. And to me, they still work today. Yeah, the balance here of humor and seriousness is really, I think, well done, especially for an 80s movie. If you're just like down to watch an 80s movie that's goofy, but the gaze is so intensely like feminine where like 
my wife was like, is this made for dudes? And I didn't know. I'm like, are they trying to pull a flash dance where like women are supposed to love this because of Patrick Swayze and, Mm -hmm. you know, Rob Lowe? Because like when he's walking around with his jock strap, they like hold it on his bare ass multiple shots for like five second periods. And there's just so much of that. And I mean, you said that they like the hazing ritual was shaving his testicles. I was like, oh yeah. Like I thought they were actually shaving his pubes all the way through. (laughs) Like it was really like, what the hell was going on here? We were just losing it. We're like, Oh man, this is like Animal House meets like Revenge of the Nerds. Once again, kind of like in that Slapshot universe where you get that humor. Then it's uniquely hockey because what we have the bar scene where like they randomly start flirting with these girls and they do the gag where they dunk the teeth in the Bloody Mary. It's like, oh, that's disgusting. And the girls get a kick out of it. And then what halfway through it, they're trying to get him wasted. They're ordering shots of tequila and they're like throwing it over their shoulder and just getting him wasted. To what end? I'm not sure. I mean, it must have been some pretty te- cheap tequila if they're just throwing it in people's faces. I, I do like that. That scene's really well done because I love how like how rambunctious all the hockey players are. Like they're just in their own corner of the bar. Everyone's constantly like looking behind their shoulders, like these guys fucking shut up. Then like they hit them with the drinks and shit. And they like yell at them, but they, you never approach them because they're fucking. You know, a bunch of hockey players are just drunk as shit. You're literally drinking pitchers of beer, just looking for a fight, right? So I, I, I love the atmosphere of that scene. That one, I love the bar scenes in these last two movies we we checked out. Yeah, I mean, Slapshot has great bar scenes like really amazing ones, but the bar scenes in this really felt like drunk. They felt soaked in alcohol. And maybe it's because I was a little tipsy still from our party, but we were watching it and like, we felt it. They Uh were like spinning and we were cracking up with the dentures gag. I mean, it was so perfectly done. And I love that she like gets pissed off, but then still drinks it after. I mean, the little things are so funny. Maybe she laughs and it sprays all over her face. I think at one point. Oh, that scene is absolutely riotous. When the when the Bloody Mary is sprayed all over her face, we were just die. It's it's it sounds so stupid talking about it, but it, it's really a good gag in the film. And the cougar is just great. I mean, I, I call her a cougar. You call her Madame, uh, whatever her role technically. I mean, we're just throwing archetypes. Pretty bad ones out there. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty on PC ones, I know. But this movie actually, in a weird weird way, like Slapshot, is flirting with taboo in 2021 territory. So. Fair warning, we're just playing in the context of the film here. (laughs) That said, I I love the fact that when she later walks in on uh, Jesse and Youngblood sleeping together, the real sweat-soaked scene. I mean, they show the sweat on their bodies so intensely. And I love- water to it. (laughs) And they have the great cutaways between, always with alcohol and sex. So first of all, we get the cougar sex scene and the next shot is like kind of like a match cut that's supposed to be our symbolic ejaculation shot is someone pouring beer. So you get the froth. And then yeah. later you get the lead up to the sex and it's the tea kettle going off. The tea um, kettle had me crack it up because it was such a transition between now we're making tea and then we have the transition with the sex scene. I was I was dying laughing. Not about whenever she's stacking all the sugars in it, like all the way up to the very top. <laughs> that ends with the cherry. <laughs> the cherry on top, right? Yeah. yeah. If that's I was dying lighting. laughing with, with the, like you said, the juxtaposition between, the, between those things, elements going on had me just like rolling. <laughs> I like what you said with the female gaze. Like, I almost think that this could play off better now because like where Slapshot was very like raunchy and how it's depictions of language towards all kinds of different groups. This one was very romantic friendly. So I almost see this playing a little easier in these times because I mean, it's kind of, you know, pro-female, I guess. I'm not really sure how to describe that exactly, but um, I don't see this getting ripped apart nearly as much as how crude the Slapshot was. Yeah, I'd agree for like all the reasons you said right there. It's not as overtly explicit as Slapshot was. 
it's not boys club it's more yeah. like sex <laughs> yeah hooray like you said the, the romantic element is just much more traditionally punctuated in this one it has more of those traditional beats than we had in Slapshot. yeah i, I agree and like, yeah, not point out, Paul, with, the, with the female gaze on this one where it's kind of giving some ladies something to look at where like we said for the male audience you're kind of questioning a lot of things so yeah i completely agree with that absolutely i think it really kind of wants to be dirty dancer and flash uh dance and all those films like it's really tapping into that romance it knows what it has it's got three big who will be big male leads like we got keanu reeves in there he's not in this very much but like you know you got patrick swayze you gotta have patrick swayze without his shirt as much as you can in this like you said dripping in sweat but again he he plays off so cool though that's one thing about patrick swayze he's so good in that role where he plays like that jock locker room dude who probably would be you know drinking beer or working out or you know like it works so well with that smile that he delivers after everything he says like i'm really such great casting for for patrick swayze in this the drinking i'm sorry uh the drinking scene leads up into the uh, hockey drills right <laughs> and I really thought the hockey drills was a great scene where like that was like really them getting down and dirty, learning some like physical drills of getting ready for hockey. And I thought that was really well done. And man, Rob Lowe is like with dragon ass because he got so uh, plastered the night before him and Kiana doing his like bend legs thing with the goalie because apparently he was a goalie in high school did you guys know this yeah 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 i do play a goalie and like he's actually pretty good they say apparently his nickname was the wall whenever he played hockey so yeah go keanu he actually got to try out once for a ohl team or something like that like a minor league team but he said he declined it because he wanted to focus on acting yeah, I mean, that that drill sequence reminded me a little bit of Miracle because that brutal, famous, famous sequence, which is so well done in Miracle. It doesn't come close to that. With To me, it would be called Suicides in Other Sports. I forget what he calls it in Miracle, Herb, the coach, but when he makes them do the line, line, line until they're throwing up. But I was watching those drills and they were insane when they're like walking on their elbows on the ice and flipping over and doing uh, burpees type things like if, if for fitness people. But on ice, and I'd never done anything like that when I played hockey. <laughs> Jordan, did you do any drills like that? Those were crazy. Only like the one where you get up, like the one where you crawl and like do the roll thing. And then like the one on the sticks, like they do in my ducks too, where you have like the sticks and you do like the back and forth, for, like the stop and stuff like that. That's, that's about the most agreeable you have to do. And coming right after the drinking sequence, it definitely, uh, like, we're like, oh, I definitely thought they were going to play it for a, a throw up gag, but they didn't go there. I guess, thankfully so. Um, jumping back into the the lovemaking sequence, that really funny one where they start off on the bed. Uh, he take like, I think he notices the panties of... Don't forget the flannel. <laughs> That's always, I had that in my notes. <laughs> They're both in flannel shirts. How Canadian is that? <laughs> and cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And he finds the panties and tosses them back. Was it just me or did it look like she kind of had a mullet going on? A bit. I thought so too. Oh, goodness. I mean, in the 80s, everyone had a mullet going on, right? I mean, Swayze had the best mullet going on for sure. But everyone did. But suddenly, I love the fact that they're talking about the creaky bed, right? And he's like, yeah, it's something that's a nuisance every, every night. And she gives him the look like, you know, he's just this scandal. And he's like, yeah, just sleeping on it, right? He tries to play it off. But suddenly they cut to the bed on the floor and they're standing <laughs> like face to face. It was for the like slow unbuttoning sequence, right? Mm-hmm. Am I wrong here? Because I didn't ever rewind it. But okay, we get that. And then we get them like lead up to the sex. And then we get the like cutting of the lemon and the tea and all that stuff we talked about. And then they're back on the bed, sweaty as hell, rolling around. And there's a fire in the background. Was the fire there before in the foreplay scene? Because I don't think it was. I didn't catch that. So I'm going to say no. I don't even remember the being fire. 
there was like light behind there him whenever in the, in the flannel part but um it wouldn't have been the flannel part so that literally cracked me up i just hope that i wasn't wrong because who stops in the middle of foreplay to get the wood together and start You're up a going. fire right Keep it going <laughs> did you see how small that room was i didn't know it had a fireplace yeah, they're already the- sweaty enough why do they need more warmth <laughs> So I get that heat up. <laughs> and not only are they wearing the flannel, but the cowboy boots, the jeans. Miss mm-hmm. Cougar's not too pleased whenever she steps in the room deliver- to deliver the tea with uh, her in bed with him. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. But then I like the fact that she is a little bit sour, but hey, she did also like quickly uh, walk out with a kind of mm-hmm. smirk on her face, at least I thought. Boys mm-hmm. will be boys. I'm just a, you know, I'm just initiation hookup, basically. Like I already have his trading card. It's fine. <laughs> exactly, right? But- uh, in terms of being a talented player or a goon, if you were a hockey player, what would you rather be? It couldn't be both. You couldn't be dynamic. You had to be one or the other. And this comes with all the ramifications. So I want to throw it out there. If you're the hockey player that's a talent, you're going to get your ass kicked, but you're going to get the like girls and you're going to get all of those like flashy goals and probably an NHL contract. And if you're a goon, let's say you'll also get an NHL contract, but you're not going to get like the same level caliber of like interest from fans or women and you're going to lose all your teeth not just one by the end (laughs) and you know your whole purpose is just going to be fight people so what would be your preference or prerogative in that i'm built to be a goon but i've always imagined myself of a as a man of finesse i'm more of a football fan really so i've always like imagined myself as that randy moss catching that fingertip touchdown kind of thing so yeah i would definitely see myself as a finesse person even though i'm a on this big like person that would have been an offensive lineman if i wasn't in the band in high school (laughs) i think i would i would say i'd want to realistically be the skill player because i know how that life is just too brutal man you're busting up your knuckles every night you don't know you don't really have a job like your job's based on how well you fight i mean it's a tough life. Just throwing out there, I suggest a book out there called uh, The Code. The Code is a really great book. It's all about fighting, contributed by like Mario McSorley and lots of NHL fighters. It's worth the read. But after reading that, yeah, you want to be the guy making money, not getting hit. You want to be the guy who can pay for someone to take hits for you. You want that Gretzky lifestyle. So backing, backing up to uh, Slapshot, the foil on the hands, what's that all about? It's kind of like it's not – I don't get it. They, he never – Dave Hansen never really said what that was. It's not something that they did. I don't, I don't get it either. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it survived. He, in fact, he said, uh, Dave Hanson was mentioning that he got chirped, like when he's, you know, after the movie came out, like other players would come up to him and be like, well, when we fight, you're going to come at me, you're going to come at me with the foils and, you know, kind of give him fun at that. And like, I don't know the origins behind it though. Like what, it, what the significance of it is. It's bizarre. Speaking and- of goons, I think the, the next, my, my next point was what Swayze gives the, the referee a big old smooch in during one of the brawls for, for reasons. <laughs> That was completely ad-libbed, apparently. And, like, I love that scene. Because, like, the, the way they end that scene and it ends the fight with him up close and, like, it goes with everything we said, like, the, the homoeroticism of this movie and then with the fight and the smile that Swayze brings after he kisses the ref was just a good, like, punctuation on that on that particular brawl. To me, The it team was giving me, like, a Bruins vibe with, uh, I guess, how their uniforms were, kind of, right? Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. funny you mentioned Bruins because, like, the kiss reminded me of, like, recently Marshan on the Bruins few playoffs ago licked a dude in the face and it got like all kinds of it was a little twitter moment that swayze thing kind of reminded me of that just funnier uh What's next that? up i had like the the third act slump so yeah what swayze gets uh you know his head cracked like we were talking about earlier then he like suddenly quits the team 
goes back down to home or whatever and gets in that conversation with his brother. And then this is when we're getting into like the whole Rocky slash Karate Kid montage thing yeah. where we get these beautiful sunsets and fading to Rob Lowe's face and, you know, a very cool background with him punching the punching bag. Very, yeah, Rocky slash Karate. Mm-hmm. I didn't think Karate Kid was after this or was before this, but it, it, it was. So it was, yeah, I was definitely getting those two vibes while seeing him get that montage for the, the traditional sports uh, movie scene for him to get ready for that th- third act like you're waiting for it and like all the notes that hit for me too i was like we got rocky here we got we got karate kid and then for me i liked it because we started right away for me we started with the hero's journey thing again with him leaving the farm and we got mm-hmm. that whole like luke skywalker like uncle ben thing like no you gotta stay mm-hmm. here and work mm-hmm. and then you got someone stepping up so i love that like how that kind of comes back with that very quintessential 80s moment where you know you get the montage and it really builds up but yeah right away i get those 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 all those notes you're talking about oh i was gonna say what was up with the referee in the final match almost like looking for permission to throw penalties is this like do you know what your job is exactly because you should be throwing the penalties come on now i love the referees though and how they kept chirping them and making fun of them like the coach getting someone's glasses and putting them on and it was like is that ice the scene where everyone's fighting though and the referees even kind of making fun of himself by playing his jokey role in a comedy movie taking notes like everyone's just brutally beating each other up and he's like literally has a notepad out i love I love the little ref jabs that they constantly put in here. I thought they were kind of funny. But that 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 montage sequence is not only so sports movie montage, but so 80s sports movie montage. Every shot in it, it's like, it's pitch perfect. It should be like a YouTube meme or something. It's so funny. <laughs> and I, I really liked that period when he goes back to, as we mentioned before, for thematic purposes, his family's home with his brother and his brother just berating him for being a little milquetoast brat who's going to quit because... There's a possibility of getting injured when he has a no chances really enjoying his life back in a blue collar existence. And so I, I think it's pretty visceral too. I felt very quickly that that world was not for him. He was ill-equipped to manage the tractor and manage all of that lifestyle. And I think it goes really well with kind of slap shots, sort of desperation that Jordan, you mentioned this earlier. It's like, these are minor leaguers who are seeking a profession that they've not made a lot of money in that's ruining their chances in life to do other things. So there's an exigency here that is definitely palpable and existential. And I really liked it. And we mentioned it before, but Patrick Swayze's monologue gets even deeper. We didn't mention a few things, right? Because he says that he needs enough money to make, to last him a lifetime, right? Jordan mentioned because he doesn't have a high school education even. He didn't graduate high school. But he says they got us by the balls. And I love that because even say who the they is, it's just this like, generalized universalized they and i think that's so great and it's just a perfect metaphor for this movie team management is that kind of what that refers to i i would i mean i think it's to me that that's a good question right what is the subtext of that reference i took it as literally society and the man because they they pursued something they've loved to the detriment of their you know financial well-being perhaps and so like society hasn't by the balls because they follow what they love that they have to Mm -hmm. either make it or just be complete losers kind of like it's like make it or or break and he says it's Mm -hmm. more than just a game you got to play by their rules so maybe it's also like the league i I don't know there's a lot of things like you said uh that could be pointed out here uh it could be management i i took it as like society and like the fact that he pursued something he loved but now he's kind of stuck either making this really difficult uh accomplishment 
to be financially stable or being completely left out. You could almost find par parallels that to that in like the military, like people go and they learn to be like this killer instinct or whatever, and use this, you know, male aggression. And then you're, but what inserted back into society afterwards, and you're expected to follow this code of conduct that is totally contradictive of what you've been taught to be so instinctive and um, masculine within like a sports or a military realm. So I took some interesting stuff going on here. That was a good comparison. I, I think that that works perfectly on that level. So you have two things going on. You have the like military complex of like, how do you transition into a more like civil lifestyle after being kind of a hockey player who likes that rough feral like at least especially with hockey where, yeah. you, where you go to where you go to this in it for pete's sake yeah and you're expected to right you get the the crowd mm -hmm. route up for it you're basically a carnival actor in many mm -hmm. ways especially in these minor league teams but i always think of uh, music especially because jordan and i both were in bands in high school and that's the mentality of like the young indie band or the young like as we were pop punk emo band is like i have to put it all in on this and if i do like there's no other option if i like stick with it past a certain point and like some of the bands that we really liked have it rough because like quickly music got upended by downloading an mp3s and all of that and there's almost no way to truly make a living on it and so it's one of those awful industries in terms of our society in which like you're either the cream of the crop the like one of the one percent and make a hell of a lot of money or you make almost none and when you're done right there's not that many professions that you're equipped for unless you've learned some of the technicalities of music i mean i met a really cool kid recently who now works for some huge music brand he like digitizes different tones from different decades and stuff so you could find transitions but it's tough in the same way that patrick swayze could be a minor league coach perhaps but he doesn't have a whole lot out there to pursue I think like Slapshot, both of these movies have that energy to them, uh, you know, that urgency that, that fuels the characters. So yeah, Jordan, what was your take on this aspect of the movie? Uh, for me, it was more direct to kind of what uh, Justice get to the bench politics. The politics of the coach controls the bench and the bench is determined by your role and your role is all you have. So if you're going to be make the team, you're going to have any value, you have to find your value on the bench or in the locker room. And that's the other thing that's kind of, I think, accentuates from that. It goes with everything you guys were talking about, too. It's the politics of it all. Um, but relating to, like, particularly the bench and where he was sitting with the daughter and all that stuff, it's the idea that your play and what you do on the ice and what you do in the locker room is what's going to get you your spot. Do you get what gets you more time? And to me, that's again, like I, I could see why this movie, particularly that line, because it's not ex explored very much, but it rings really heavy. That's what really rings heavy on every hockey player trying to make it into the show is, you know, how do I show with what little ice time I have that I'm valuable to this team and I need to stay on this lineup. And that's what he means by the gods by the balls kind of thing. Like, you know, we're, we're puppets and we have to figure out how to work into their game, even though we want to play the game, there's another game and that's a political game. No, I think you're right. I think you're both right. I think what he's saying there is that like they are bit players on a team that then defines their future. And so it's both are going on there. I do think there's two layers because he starts off with, I have to make it. Otherwise I'm screwed. And then he talks about how, you know, they got him by the balls. And so it's like, he has to make it within this system that may not have his interest on their side and so he's such a tragic character uh, like by the end it's it's a bummer it's a real bummer the fact that he basically gets taken out and there's no redemptive or feel-good twist 
in terms of his character for me, I was like, that is a shitty ending for a character. <laughs> and moving to the ending, I think we talked about most of the film. Like, what was your takes on the ending, the last game? Yeah, stemming off of what a bizarre thing to where he got benched because he was sleeping with the coach's daughter or whatever. So yeah, he goes and learns how to fight from like his brother and his dad, comes back into the hockey game and is still a little tentative about this whole like aggression thing until like the final moments where he gets tripped up, he gets a penalty shot. This is kind of where it brings me back to Mighty Ducks a little bit because yeah, we had that scene in the very beginning where it was kind of nostalgia that was inspired Mighty Ducks. And then um, this whole like idea of a penalty shot um, finale definitely um, inspired Mighty Ducks. I really enjoyed how it wasn't really um, a straightforward hockey move, like moving forward with the puck and then he kind of slid it back and then waited for the goalie to kind of move forward and then slapped it in and got it in there. That was pretty sweet. I loved how the goalie did that whole like split thing <laughs> beforehand to get like get ready for it. So yeah, I really enjoyed these last few moments. And then finally, like as the time expires is when he finally mans up and he's like challenging this goon that has been like um, his nemesis the whole time to the fight. Yeah, he takes them off. I love the fact that when he challenges the goon, right? It's po- totally futile, right? It doesn't even have to be in the game. And that, that adds yeah. an extra half. So the game's over. He already won it. But now it's time to finally show what he has. Yeah, show his real medal, right? Uh, so, Jordan, what did you take from the final game and so forth? Uh, actually, I actually have an alternate take than your guys's. I was kind of a little, I, mean, I like the penalty shot. I thought, I mean, told my Ducks family, like, oh, I can see where Ducks got that. And like you said, I like the move that he uses. Really cool, fancy move, like between the skates, go top shelf. Looks like it took him a long time to probably like get that one right on, on camera. But I feel like, like you said, with the buildup and the, to me, it's where the cliche 80s kind of just, for the first time I was just ready for the movie to end, I knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. And that was a little unfortunate because even though we're talking about all these cliches here, I'm on board for this movie for the most part in terms of being enthralled in the story. Whereas here, I felt like we're going to get a penalty shot because of the time. And then because the fight's going to have to happen, it felt a little too forced where I think the fighting maybe been a little more organic somewhere in there. It probably would have rang a little better with me, but like you said, because of the big old buildup of the, of the training and all that stuff, it doesn't like ring as a big, like Rocky brawl, unfortunately, because the last fight's not, not that great. It's a cool moment. It's, it's a big heroic moment, but because I'm anticipating and it's because I know it's going to happen, it doesn't ring the way I, I, I'd hope. I was hoping for a better fight, I guess, maybe is what it was. And it's kind of hilarious throughout the whole thing. Every time Logue gets hit in the face, he just immediately just hits the ground, doesn't he? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Constantly. But I just love the idea. He like really just went home and like a weekend of training, he's going to fight the dude. Everyone's scared to fight and he's going to, and he's going to beat him up. Yeah. It's one of those ones where I found myself. I really liked the I like the acting a lot when he goes home, mm-hmm. particularly his brother, his brother's performance really low, low could not, unfortunately couldn't sell like the emotion of his pain and why he doesn't want to play when he's talking to his girlfriend. That seems was pretty bad. But his brother, when he brother berates him and gives him shit for not playing, that scene really had me like on board. And so when we get to the rest of the cliche training and stuff, it's unfortunate. It kind of has that like, I get where you're going with this, but it doesn't add up quite to the moment where it didn't punctuate with me, right? Uh, and throughout the movie, isn't like his signature move that he like goes around the goal and like slaps it in that way? Yeah, I felt like it didn't need to end on the fight. It was too building up to that. And I was hoping maybe he was going to go differently, like it do with that locker room. For well, that was the, that was where the character arc was. Yeah. So we had to end on the fight because he yeah. had to toughen up. He already had the finesse. I, I think that uh, I could hear what Jordan's saying. It's that they foreshadow every big movement. And it's totally 
the trope of that type of 80s film that it's it's abiding by and adhering to at all points. And it's nowhere near as good as like a slap shot, which feels like off the cuff at all times. And you're, you're constantly in this emergent state with the film because it's so spontaneous that you feel like you're in the moment realizing stuff where this one, you're like expecting it multiple seconds in advance of when something's going to happen, if not minutes. I was okay with it because I've recently seen like Flashdance and so forth and just totally know what these movies are. And I love the cheesiness of how obviously they foreshadow everything. Like after the scene with the smut novel or whatever, the porn novel and getting caught outside with the, with the father um, and we have uh, young blood in Jesse. Uh, I love how eighties it is when suddenly she stops and was like, we, we can't do this. We can't date. Right. And they've like literally just started to like talking for the first serious conversation of their lives. They met briefly in the locker room hallway where his ass was showing right and then they exchanged a few words she hands him his pop some popcorn and they like kind of flirt in a bookstore and suddenly she's like calling it off (laughs) and the the music is cute I mean it's just so 80s it's just like you don't have to even uh have any credibility in some ways because that would never happen how presumptuous would that be your first like five minute conversation someone like by the way this can't happen (laughs) (laughs) I found that brutally hilarious and I just want to go back to that because it's been nagging my mind every so often in this conversation because I didn't get to ask it why did he put that book in her bag like what was the point was that like literally a move was he trying to like what was the what was the motivation behind that I'm curiously puzzled by that he put the nympho book in her bag yeah yeah why 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 did the nympho book get in her bag what because it was her bag right no it was his bag right she bought him the book or gave him the book which he bought, I might have this Oh, so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm out of the loop. So she's just a horny dude who wants a kind of nympho book. That's what I got out of it. But I guess, yeah. <laughs> then, didn't see what the uh, nympho book was about, though. So I was, I was, my context was, what's this book about? Is he trying to learn something here? Or, I don't know. Yeah, and then why does he have to show it to the guy? Didn't he say, like, he bought her the book or something, though? Well, he pulls the wrong one out, was the mm-hmm. joke there, because he has two books in there. Oh, I get that. I get that. I'm not that. that tense. No, I'm not there, I thought you're like, why is it pulling out that? Obviously, mistake Moby Dick, the, the, the giant thick book for the, the little teeny info <laughs> book somehow. <laughs> I don't know. His bubble's fucking long. Like, yeah, maybe I'm yes, just really fixated a, on that. I thought he was oh, just goodness. being really sly and being like, I'm going to pick up on this on this coach's hot daughter by buying a, an X rated <laughs> book and putting it in her like bag. And I was like, that is pretty ballsy. I've never heard of that move. That'd be a serious maneuver anyways. Um, Going back to the end of the movie. Um, yeah. So yeah, I like how like the whole letter jacket thing gets tied back to the end where he like actually values the um, the letter jacket there at the end um, where he's kind of looking at it. And then he goes back on the ice and the kids want his autograph or whatever, kind of signifying that he had made it. And then um, as the credits begin to roll, we get the, the goal with the key light on it in the background. It was like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice little send off for the audience there. But yeah, that's that's my notes on the film. I do love this that it ends with what you expect to be the orthodox 80s kiss, right? In the synth music. And when she leans in to kiss him, he like winces and it's very awkward. I thought that was well done because if yeah. he's the real the real coming of uh, age story here is that he lost his tooth, not that he got the kiss. <laughs> yeah, he does have somewhat of a chipped tooth there in the, the last few shots. I'm oh yeah, really sure. he, he lost it uh, like the first hit in the game when he went back uh, into oh, okay. the locker room. Yeah, you know he got beat up a bunch, and he was uh, actually as is kind of cowardly as he was. 
I thought it was pretty bold to talk shit to Patrick Swayze as the guy's taking his stitches out. In that moment, he kept <laughs> talking crap to Swayze. Like the dude is literally pulling stitches out of your face and you're, and you're talking down to him anyways. Uh, so we're at the point where we're going to move to the reviews. So, all right. So the reviews, it has a 38% on the tomato meter, the splat, which means the critics hated it. They panned it. 38% of them liked it. The audience though was much higher at 68%. With over 5,000 ratings. The thing about the critics rating is that it's based off of a whole sample of eight. So it's pathetic in terms of its sample size. So uh, who knows what the critics actually thought of it at the time. Anyways, there was a few uh, interesting takes that we found. I know Jordan found some really good ones from Roger Ebert. So I want to let you start with one of those. Yeah, for sure. As we always like to do whenever we get a chance, bring in Roger Ebert. He was my essentially... Cisco Eber, our go-to critics in the 90s, right? Growing up, used to see him on TV and read him in the newspapers. So I always get stoked we can bring him into this. Particularly at this one, because like, as we said, they, we've never got a good one for a sports movie, sports movie from them. And I don't think we ever will. Maybe maybe we'll get lucky one day and find it. I'm, I look forward to it. But regarding Youngblood, uh, Eber basically says, um, Lowe apparently worked hard to prepare for Youngblood. He does a lot of his own skating, for which I give him credit. But I think the actors have been let down by the screenplay, which has them doing all the work. I kind of disagree with that. I don't think it was a screenplay problem, to be honest. I think it was the actors, as we discussed on the podcast, I feel like some of these secondary characters had some of the better acting roles in this or better uh, performances. So I felt that was a little unfair. But I do like this last thing he says, if Rob Lowe had to learn how to play hockey, was it too much to ask Peter Markle, the writer-director, to write an original screenplay instead of an upteenth ripoff of what he calls the Klidvik? Uh, so we don't know what he calls the, what the Klidvik is. It's the climb from despair to victory. Uh, as he calls it, the Klidvik. As you know, Re Ebert's always coining terms and whatnot for story arcs. So he really detested this film, particularly with, from his from the start of the review of The Climb from Despair to Victory, which I don't necessarily think that's a fair... I think it's a little more complex than that. that the story is more complex than that, as we've discussed. It has various story arcs going on. That is one of them. But I think there's way more than... That's, that's very reductive of what's what's going on in, in this movie. I do think the screenplay itself is pretty solid. I don't think there's a lot of flaws with the screenplay. I liked much of the dialogue. It felt like it would come from the mouths of hockey players. So I got to give it some credit on that. I just felt like the delivery was there all the time. Yeah, and I think that this Klidvik, this climb from despair to victory trope is a little bit overblown in attributing it to Youngblood. I didn't quite see this to be that present. I feel like the thing that's going on is a moment of second guessing oneself or a lapse of doubt. It's not like he's in despair. It's like he's a scaredy cat who needs to step up and say, this is what I love and I'm willing to like uh, it was more get of over. identity crisis. Yeah. Like that classic identity crisis trope, I, I thought. Like that's why I went that hero's journey thing I mentioned earlier, which is a quintessential part of that. Um, so I agree with you. I feel like that's the incorrect terminology for this particular story. Absolutely, yeah. And he, he's very craven, but that's even too strong. Cause I mean, who isn't kind of scared to get their like, face pounded in by a big scary goot either so i think we're being way too hard on the guy either it's just like he has to overcome this unfortunate reality of hockey which is the fact that it's very violent at times but like you said the hero's journey the problem with roger ebert's klidvik is that every film could almost fit into this particularly in this genre in this age right when we get into 80s films and 80s sports movies that's why i feel like we've, that's why i like bringing up 
Roger Ebert in comparison as we look to more critical reviews or just user reviews and see like that variance of this was the end all end all of reviews for the most part. You saw a trailer and at the end it said Siskel or Ebert give it two thumbs up and some sort of quote from them. And that was like, that would deter people from watching a movie. Like I can speak to that. That, that has deterred me as a viewer from seeing a movie. So I love seeing like the ones they give a crap about. And the, you, you can tell like, we're never going to probably find it in our podcast. We're mostly dealing with sports movies, but it's interesting to see how dismissive they are of some movies that have much more nuance, nuance to them than I think, I think even on the first viewing, you can appreciate as a viewer. So I, I find that very interesting to see like that hoity-toity kind of just disregarding of it. Um, and we'll get into our other viewers right now who might share some similar opinions, but. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of Ebert not liking any sports movie, I think he likes Hoosiers and I think he, he likes i know he likes hoop dreams i know that but that's a, <laughs> oh yeah he does <laughs> yeah <laughs> which we talked about before the podcast again right and it's the fact that like he touts that movie like no other he's turned it into like a, this thing besides that i think what he he doesn't like so much is movies that fall into very strong genre formulaic traps mm-hmm. and it's a strange thing because i know a lot of critics learn to see films on what they are aspiring to be but i get it he's a little jaded and having seen too much but you're right jordan the two thumbs up was everything in the 90s it was i'm sure very big even in the 80s of what roger ebert had to say about a film and it is a bit of a bummer that he's kind of a one note critic on terms of all the sports films we've covered so far anyways justin what review did you find something on uh, from frederick and marianne brissant from the spirituality and practice it's advocacy of violence as the only way to victory is nothing but to cheer about. It is a very short-sighted view from a obviously conservative um, publication on a very, I mean, from our conversation, I mean, there's so much to this movie from the, the sweaty sexual viscerality to it to like, like the aspiring to move up to the major leagues of hockey. I don't think they gave this one much of a much of a thought at all, besides the fact that it was a little vulgar and violent. Yeah, I think that they gave it a one out of five because it didn't appeal to their pre-existing worldview and sensibilities. Essentially. Uh, essentially, right. I think you're you're on point with that one, one hundred percent. No, I think it still nonetheless brings up something interesting. It's like, is a film that advocates violence. It ends with us cheering for someone who decides to brawl, right? And he's not only defending himself, but he proactively seeks out the fight. Is that something we should cheer about? And uh, it's a tricky one for a lot of people who are- That's what's expected of him of a hockey player too, right? Because he he has to- climbed this point where he's able to dish out violence on somebody. So that's an interesting concept to think about, right? Where you have to reach this point where you are capable of violence. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. I I mean, I like they were bringing up these types of initiation, right? Type narrative movements, right? Because the scene with his father, where his father teaches him how to fight, he teaches him how to enter in the manhood of the sport which he'd never done before. It's a powerful scene. You could see it as like this cultural initiation piece. And so I, I think that there is something there that, that justifies it on, on a level. It's like, it's inherent to this world and therefore it is warranted within this world. So mm-hmm. actually I have another review kind of run from a 
another article that was recently written on this from comes from the hockeywriters.com. It's just uh, comes from a piece called hockey humor heft why young blood still holds up. And I think it's an interesting counter to like that last critical review you threw out there, Justin. Um, and they're just comparing it interesting to the movie we just talked about last week, Slapshot, where they say referencing Slapshot, whereas a 1977 comedy lampoon hockey's violence, 1986 is young blood portrayed it as a necessary part of the game while also highlighting hockey's grace and skill. And I think that last part's important. Like the idea that this does go through ex- good lengths to highlight grace and skill of the sport in building up to that fight. Like even the penalty shot before is fucking sick. Like it really shows like, you know, the grace and skill of the skating, the talent of the, you know, the handling the stick and puck, and then it culminating into that violence in that regard. Yeah. I feel like that, that last one was just too reductive. Nice. That's a really good quote. The review that I found, the critical review goes into a totally different direction. And it's by Walter Chow at Film Freak Central. They gave it zero out of four. So we're starting from a premise of a zero out of four. Gosh. And they wrote so gay that it's almost possible to see the film as a comment that the real audience for movies like this are pre-sexual little boys and homosexual big boys. So they- <laughs> How is it possible that you found a review that was as short-sighted as, or more short-sighted as mine? Right. Wow. I just want to say, how on earth did this review get on the front page of Rotten Tomatoes? Um, I, but definitely, we, we did talk about the homoerotic undertones, and it definitely oh it definitely appeals to a like prepubescent horny boy, like that you know 13-year-old boy vibes. But I think we got it. The better take is that it was trying to be flash dance. It was trying to like really appeal to young women. And yeah, I think it still crowd. would. I think like this has a chance with Rob Lowe, like all these hunks, these Hollywood Crazy. hunks <laughs> to have this resurgence where everyone just claims it as like this like hidden hunk fest. Like <laughs> I really yeah. think it, it could be picked up by the, the, the hockey aficionados and the like nostalgic millennials who want more 80s for those generations anyways i don't know if we can get more like informal (laughs) than that and but let's move to letterbox and see what we find so (laughs) letterbox who wants to go first just go for it i got naughty aka julia norwood she said good god this was a real chore to get through Uh, my advice is to skip this nonsense and check out slap shot instead if you blink once too often you'll miss keanu reeves together now I agree with the Keanu Reeves comment because yes, he's barely in the movie. When he's there, it's awesome. But but yeah, yeah, if you blink, you'll miss for sure. Um, but being a chore to get through, I totally disagree with. Yes, Slapshot is a better movie, but um, I think she discredits this a little bit too heavy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard because like you side with the point that Slapshot's better. So at least this person like has good hockey movie taste but i wouldn't go as far as saying it's a bore chore to get through i thought it was fun it's a fun uh, goofy 80s movie that's aged hilariously so i definitely didn't get that from it how about you jordan what did you find on letterboxd all right so this one comes from holly horror who gave it a star and a half excruciatingly bland 80s sports movie complete with rob lowe patrick swayze a synth score and montage training scene uh, she, she hate everything i liked about the movie apparently <laughs> but, oh and ed louder plays a dad again Uh, This should have been so much better than it actually was, but instead I I spent the running time disengaged and bored. I guess there's a reason I never watched this one as a kid. Pretty harsh review on that one. (laughs) That viewer was not in in for the ride that was Youngblood. How could you be bored with all the sweat in this movie? I was going to say, I was legitimately laughing at a lot of the just like dumb shenanigans. Like he ends up like locked out of the locker room and his jockstrap had me cracking up. I can see some assholes in the locker room doing that when you see someone go out just locking the doors. He's on his own. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, mine was right below yours, and it's a three-star review, and it 
focus is on something we never focus on this podcast, but it would be fun to actually more often. It's the poster. <laughs> and they wrote, that's a pretty oh, terrible man. poster. Uh, Swayze looks like he wants to molest someone. And Lo looks like he wants to be molested. I think Keanu is supposed to- this is? Yeah, I do. You got to check out the poster. So also listeners, check out the poster. The original poster, sorry to mention this now. So I checked out the original poster on Wikipedia and it actually looks a lot like the AHA uh, take on me video <laughs> perfect perfect good for the time good video good poster right <laughs> definitely the poster is a sight to behold uh, if you want to be a true movies nostalgic guru get that thing printed out and put on your wall <laughs> i i think that uh they also get into the fact that Keanu is supposed to be French Canadian. Uh, and I noticed that someone on your review talks about how everyone in Quebec makes fun of his accent, right? Hawken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty bad. Keanu, though, is just so Keanu. Even if he doesn't say a word and is only in for like a total of 30 seconds, he's just like, huh? huh? He's he looks so like good. I was like, having a great time. <laughs> he's yeah. happy to be here, guys. <laughs> no matter what, he's just happy to be there. And it's like, what up, dude? It's like making a movie. Yeah, it's so fun to watch these like really famous actors in their very first roles just be them. Like, it's just their charismatic energy still completely encapsulated so i did like keanu on this even though he doesn't even deserve a credit i don't think yeah and the accent is funny man because you're going like what the fuck i've seen people say it was russian i've seen french canadian yeah i dug it what's up justin uh, i was gonna i got another letterbox review to throw at you a little bit more positive this time from a dankwit he says the movie equivalent of poutine very cheesy very canadian and one of my top 10 guilty pleasures <laughs> i like th- i like this guy's style respect even got a poutine reference in there i can i can dig that yeah i can dig the poutine reference it's very geographically savvy so all right justin you got something else too okay so patrick swayze had a um a starring role with keanu reeves in a movie and patrick swayze had a starring role in rob lowe in another movie can you name these two movies i know one is point break that's correct with keanu reeves keanu reeves right what was the pot what was the patrick swayze and rob lowe movie oh that one i'm not gonna know i'm not gonna know that one I'm not going to know that one either. There's no way. I'm just not a big Rob Lowe. Yeah, I'm trying to draw anything I know about Rob Lowe from the 80s. And this is probably the only one you have to tell us, Justin. Coppola? Francis Ford Coppola? Mm Mm-hmm. The Outsiders. Oh. oh. (laughs) See, the problem with The Outsiders is I'm sure it's a great movie. But like I had to watch it so many like times in like the seventh and eighth grade and never paid attention yeah. that I've never actually seen it. So like they show it in school. I just think it sucks because they show it at school. I never paid attention to it. So I've never seen the movie. Here's Have the thing. I watched Fish? The Outsiders yeah. just like you and looking for the like the stars at my at that time who were big were Tom Cruise, Swayze, and Dylan from Something About Mary. So those are the people I always remember from that. Oh, and uh, Millie Estevez, right? Those are the people I generally remember for that movie. But yeah, obviously Rob Lowe was not on my radar at that time. Whereas now, like I said, from Parks and Recs and like uh, The West Wing, yeah, known for that. But yeah, I have a definitely blind spot for Rob Lowe in the 80s for me. And my other fun fact was the fact that, okay, so apparently Patrick Swayze had a girlfriend in this movie, but all her scenes were cut. Every single one. Go. <laughs> yeah. I think it's better. I like that he's like just this rogue bachelor Mm-hmm. Figure. Uh, oh, okay. I think it works. How funny is it that like they never show young blood and Swayze's character and his name become friends until he's really? at his house, right? I love that. It's like they're suddenly they have this like big rapport and camaraderie and <laughs> they're buddy buddy. Yet they they never show the development of that friendship really. in any way. No. 
So Jordan, what, what was the other one that you found on Letterboxd? All right, uh, this one was from Jacob Knight, who gave it three, gave four stars, excuse me. A strange amalgamation of sweaty 80s brat pack teen heartthrob sexuality completed by a level of locker room homoeroticism not normally found in these types of sports pictures. With a beaten, bruised, blue-collar sense of junior hockey's meat grinder mentality when it comes to chewing up and spinning out new talent. Lot to take in there, but I do like that. I do appreciate the witticisms of that. The idea of again, super homoerotic, but all about the beat grinder mentality of the game, right? It has it has all sorts of tastes that you can kind of pick and choose from from this one. Yeah, no, I think that's a great recapitulation of like a lot actually, of what we said. One yes. more thing I want to add because I didn't get this is actually the best part. I, I agree with them. This you can smell their unwashed uniforms, fill the lumpy vinyl seats as they ride a barely running buster next match. That's one thing I got about the locker room. You can actually smell the sweat. And that's one of those things you can really appreciate for anyone who's played sports and how to carry around a nasty ass sweaty bag of any kind. You know, that's, you know, that stench. And like, it's hard to really get that to come across on film. I think this one really gets it with the, the dingy locker room, that dingy arena. That was one of the great things about Slapshot is you can feel the bus on Slapshot. Yeah. Like rolling back into town, having to get off the bus and go back home. That Slapshot totally owns that, which mm-hmm. um, I experienced whenever I was in a drum and bugle corps. Yeah, I, I love the fact that these intangibles are something that are hard to talk about that we're pointing them out because I think both film really like emanate a certain grunginess that comes off as authentic. And I, I appreciate that. Whereas I've actually started Puck Hogs, the one that you mentioned, uh, Jordan, uh, and it's it's funny. I like Puck Hogs, oh, sure. but they have a joke about a smelly hockey bag in the very beginning. And it's funny, but it's like here you smell the sweat just without even saying a word. And there, it's just like a gag and they have to make it so explicit. It's a totally different thing. I'm not trying to diss that film, but I just think that, yeah, it's an interesting a- attribute and it ties this almost full circle into like the beginning of our discussion where we talked about how hard it is to put on hockey gear because it is kind of tiring for sure. So a uh, funny fact about this movie is it was sponsored by Kentucky Fried Chicken and apparently the cast got totally sick of eating KFC by the, the end of the role. Oh, <laughs> man, they- I would love that. I would have loved that too. I thought it was sponsored by aspirin because they kept showing aspirin ads on the hockey boards. Did they really? <laughs> Which kind of makes sense, actually. They, they got their audience pretty right. Yeah, really. So overrated underdog. The classic cinematic underdogs rating. Justin, I'll start with you. Do you consider this an overrated and an, or an underdog film and why? You're putting me in a corner here because I really want to put it in that middle slot that you guys do not have on this show. But I would have to say this is, I would have to say this is, this is overrated. There's a lot of good stuff to it, but I would not put it in the upper echelon of sport films by any means. Um, There's a lot of silliness, a lot of, a lot of stuff to really relish in. But um, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a really silly little one that I think would be overrated. And I'm very curious to hear what exactly do like hockey players connect with with this film? I mean, what is it about this movie that makes people so, what is it? I think that's why I'm going to go for my rating. I'm going to say it's underrated. Okay. And I, I think one of the reasons is it's because it celebrates the masculine kind of like rambunctious nature of the team. Uh, they, again, the idea of getting away with it all and you only have a short period of time to get away with it all. So you kind of got to make the most of it. And that is like the lesson that the character does learn. So it's one of those weird central lessons that's not so much about our traditional underdog story, which is, I think is what we normally get from a lot of these movies. Particularly like we talk about Rocky, these other ones of 
you beat all odds to get here. These ones, the odds are all, they're all surmountable odds that he can do it himself. It's just, he needs to dig a little bit harder. I think like we said, but uh, it really speaks to hockey players and the idea of particularly hockey players trying to get into the show of you always have to dig harder. And like he does, you have to find yourself into that political paradigm of either skill player brawler or you know what your role is I, I think it's not explored super in depth in this but it's one of those first ones that's there like kind of like we discussed it's not all there in um slapshot but i can see here it's that young gun like i said young gun mentality not young blood mentality but that young gun up and comer go get them this is your shot i can see why that could be motivating if you're a young guy in the 80s 90s i i think that I'm a little bummed that you said it was an underdog because I thought you weren't because you were kind of harshly critical on it in the conversation for all justifiable reasons. But I agree with you. I mean, this film is largely neglected and forgotten. Like we say that kind of a lot, but this one truly is. I didn't even know it existed until we started this podcast. And I didn't even know it existed until like we did hockey. I really didn't know this movie existed. And it has some huge stars and it's pretty damn decent. Like decent's the key word. Like it's a good 80s rom-drom with some comedic bits. I mean, it's not great. It's predictable. But if you go back and watch a lot of these 80 flicks, like if you watch Flashdance and if you even watch Top Gun, sorry to you Top Gun lovers, it's great, but it's not like that great. These movies date awkwardly and they're a little weird. And like I found bad acting in all, like Rob Lowe to be slightly endearing. Patrick Swayze was great. His house, whatever he lives in, was great with the neon. <laughs> the synth music was awesome. Like, totally just a lazy, fun movie for me to watch. And I, I, I didn't feel the need to, like, say this is really quality material or to dig too deeply into it, but I enjoyed it. So I want to say also it's an underdog film. So with that said, we are going to move on with hockey, and we're having some trouble deciding what movie to move on to next. So we want to do Mystery Alaska because it's next chronologically, but we want to do Miracle because it's in the 80s. But me and Jordan also want to throw in some extra hockey movies here that just come spontaneously. We mentioned that at the beginning, and we've both seen Puck Hogs now, which are definitely much more Canadian than all these other movies. True. Um, very Canadian. So the, the, they all feel relevant in different ways. How are we going to decide? Somebody help me out here. How are we going to decide what to do next? Mystery Alaska next. It is okay. decided. It's decided. We're going to do Mystery Alaska next. And I'm that one too. What's you're gonna watch it too? Yeah. yeah awesome. Be, uh, just just to follow along with you guys' track. Yeah. Awesome. On that note, I'm sure he'll leave an awesome review on Letterboxd as he always does. Along with Letterboxd, he runs a podcast, Justin runs a podcast, and a few other film things. He's a big, big cinephile. So I'm going to let you tout all of your online presences, plural, to finish us off here. So where can people find you? I am a huge Letterboxd guy. Justin Peterson on Letterboxd. I log films pretty much daily. If I'm not watching a film, I'm watching a freaking uh, Looney Tunes short or whatever. Just uh, keeping um, the word about my thoughts on uh, whatever I'm watching going constantly. You can find me on Twitter at MovieJustin198. Yeah, that's me. Uh, man, it's been a pleasure to be here. I know you've been talking to some heavy hitters in the podcasting world, but man, it is a total honor to be back here talking uh, sports movies again with y'all. Been a total honor. Yeah, Justin, you were welcome back anytime, my man. This has been like good time. You know, drinking beer, talking sports, always a good time for me. So appreciate you taking some time spice out of your day rum. to share your thoughts with us. A little spice rum and Pepsi. Okay, spice rum and Pepsi on his end. Respect. I got a lacroix. 
So it's got the French vibe. It's got the, it's got, it's got the French Canadian vibe. Okay. Uh, but no, cheers, digital cheers. Jordan, what do you got? Oh, yeah. Uh, make sure you guys check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Paul, what's our Twitter handle? Ah, who the hell knows? It's a capital C cinematic, capital U under, at cinematic under in that way. We're on Letterboxd, Cinematic Underdog. Just search it. We are on Anchor, of course, Spotify, all those types of platforms. And more specifically and more interesting for me in this moment is what are you drinking? Oh, mango cart today. Oh, Mango nice. cart with a lime rim and some tahini on it in true Mexican fashion. Oh, I love it. You're getting ready for Cinco de Mayo. You know it. And Justin, you did not get to drop your podcast. That was a omission. I think we're getting a little tired here. You're on the East Coast. You're running to midnight or past it, right? Uh, the Average Joe's Movie Club cast. Um, you can find us on YouTube and Buzzsprout. That's it. I can't cool. Buzzsprout, Buzzsprout, YouTube, do it all. So find us. Just just go hunting. Go 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 searching. Okay. And yeah, we'd love uh, to hear from y'all. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Hey, uh, say something Canadian so I can sign off. Don't you know? That's probably Minnesotan. I don't know a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs>